welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. I don't know about you, but I want to hear some mom moments. I had two things happen today that I was like, oh, this is a really good way to start the last episode of the season because they are like mom moments that I knew were coming but was not prepared for because they kind of like happened unexpectedly and just like came out of nowhere and I was like caught off guard. So allow me to entertain you. Please do. (laughs) So my kids are at camp. It's the last week of the summer and they're at their last week of summer camp at like a salute your short style summer camp. It's just not sleep away, but it's that kind of feel, you know? Nice. And Emma, she comes home today. She gets into the car and I was like, how was your day? Because she hasn't been there for four weeks. She went at the beginning of the summer and now this is the last week. So I was like, how was your day? Did everything go well? You know, she was like, yeah, my day went really well. I had a good time. I didn't get any trouble. It's like, oh, great. So anything interesting happened? She's like, well, this one thing happened that was kind of weird. And I was like, okay, what's up? Well, so I was in like shop class and like doing wood stuff. And there was this guy who had like a knife for like filing down the wood. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, She says, so he has this knife. And I was like, oh, could I have one so that I can whittle down my wood? And he was like, no, I can't give you one. And she was like, well, could you make me like a sharp piece of wood that I can use like a knife. And he was like, yeah, okay. He's a teenage boy. Like, obviously fine. I don't really have a problem with this. No problem. Like, whatever. When it's time to leave, her regular counselor says, you can't take that with you because it looks like a knife and could be used as a knife. Like, yeah, not our shanking people in camp. <laughs> so she's like, oh, man. You know, she's disappointed because she's seven. So she goes to leave and the kid who had originally made it for her is like, no, take it with you. And Emma's like, okay. So she like takes it and the other counselor's like, no, you can't take it and gives it back to him. And they start to walk away. And this kid then runs up behind her. And this is all obviously from Emma's perspective. I don't know what really happened. And he says, put it in your bag and run. What? And she, thank God, had a deer in the headlights moment and was like, I don't know what to do. I'm being told conflicting things by people in authority roles. Uh, Yeah. I'll just stand here. So then her counselor, who I guess is older and probably has more actual authority, takes it and says no and hands it to like the person in charge because this kid was like not an in charge kid. He was just like helping out with the activity. And I had to explain to her in front of Joey what tricky adults are. And I like, we've had that conversation before, but we've never had a real world example to use. So like the 10 minute drive home and she's sitting there. I couldn't believe it. She's sitting there making excuses for this kid. Like, well, he didn't mean it that way. And, oh, I'm sure he wasn't trying to get me in trouble. And, oh, I'm sure he didn't. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. We don't make excuses for tricky adults. Never. Mm -mm. Oh, my God. So I was just like, is this for real right now? (laughs) Wow. You know what, though? Like. It was it was probably the best case scenario for mm-hmm. you to introduce it because she really probably wasn't in any danger. Yeah. yeah. But it was a it was like a a quote unquote harmless yeah. teaching moment. Yeah. And very Real clear, life, like very clear. Yeah. So I was like, I'm glad that this is like how this manifested. I'm glad I can explain it. But boy howdy, when I got in the car, I had no idea that was a conversation I was gonna be having. Wow. It was intense. Get ready. When it happens to you, Ugh, you will su- also be unprepared. <laughs> the surprise joys of parenting. Right? <laughs> so then I thought I was done with Emma's surprises for the day. Uh-oh. So of she currently, not. when she got home, she, she gets out of the car. We're eating dinner. And she was like, mom, she knows I hate this. She was like, mom, I have not one, but two super wiggly teeth. And I was like, oh, uh, don't like it. Don't like it. She's like wiggling them. They're like the two on either side of her two top front teeth. Yeah. She's just like wiggling them like crazy. And I was like, stop, stop it. Ugh. So she's just like, I'm going to lose one today. I'm going to lose one today. Oh, no. And I'm putting everybody into bed and Emma comes up behind me. I don't even hear her. She's like a wraith. She comes up <laughs> behind me, silent. And she goes, mom. And I'm like, what? 
What is it? <laughs> Mom. And she says this very loudly, like everyone within the vicinity hears her. She goes, Mom, is the tooth fairy a myth? <laughs> oh, no. She really said a myth? Not like, yeah. is it real? <laughs> yeah. She said, is she a myth? Is she like, is what she did like you a say? Myth? And I was like, well, what do you think? And she was like, well, I know that most magic isn't real. And I was like, yeah, I mean, a lot of magical things are make-believe or pretend, but some magic's real. She's like, okay, well, I just don't understand how she could give me such large things when fairies are so small. Like, does she shrink them and then bring them to the house and then embiggen them so that they're big again? It just isn't, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, sure. Yep. That that's a possibility. I don't know, man. And she was like, oh, she's like really racking her brain. And I'm watching like all of the gears yeah. turn. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, please don't put all of this together right now. I can't right now. This I have to record with Diane. I have so much going on. Please not right now. And she and she's just sitting there like thinking and thinking. And she she was she was like, well, maybe she has a potion. Some potions are real, right? And I was like, some people think potions are real. I don't really know personally because I've never had a potion. So I don't know. But maybe I'd have one and I'd believe that it was real. I don't know. But really, at the end of the day, kid, whether or not something is real or not or magical or make-believe or whatever, it's just all about what you believe. Like, if you believe it's real, then it's real. Like, that's it. It's a if good you believe answer. that the Tooth Fairy is real, she is real. That's, that's how this works. Yeah. It's all about belief. It's, you know, that's, and she was like, okay. And she just like took it and said, I'm ready for bed. I was like, okay, cool. Oh my God. Bullet dodged. Cause God Jeez. forbid. And then like in front of the other kids, the I younger know. kids. Oof. It's like, I can't right now. This it's, it's like well past bedtime guys. Can we just please? So I'm having a glass of wine now because it's been a day. Oh, you deserve it. <laughs> Good Lord. Good for you. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a lot. It's a lot in one day. Yeah, it was quite a bit. Um, so I'm not sure if you have any fun ones off the top of your head. Uh, well, actually, I have one. Rini's a very picky eater, as you know. Mm-hmm. Getting much better, much, much better than she was, but um, very picky. And I, I witnessed what I assumed would be the case, but I finally got to see what happens when she has older children around her who are eating things and she's observing that. So we went to we went to a graduation party for two of Chuck's students that he's been teaching forever and they're mm-hmm. graduating going to college. And we love the family. They're so nice. And they had obviously their extended family there. So there were these two little girls that were probably like maybe eight and six or maybe nine and six. Mm-hmm. And we sit down for dinner. You know, it's it, the mother's a wonderful cook and she made like potato salad and steak and macaroni and cheese. Like there was stuff Rini would eat, but then I, there was stuff that I was like, there's no way she's going to eat, like steak. She's tried steak. I know she likes steak, but mm. I can't get her to try it again. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sitting at dinner and she's just eating like two bites of macaroni and cheese and bread and the little the other little girl is like, Rini, you're not eating your steak? Steak is my favorite food. And I was like, I can capitalize on this. And I was like, Rini, do you want to try the steak? It's her favorite food. And Rini was like, okay, I'll try it. And she tried it and she loved it. And she ate like an entire piece of steak. And the other two little girls were like, yeah, I love steak. Steak is my favorite food. It's so good. Rini, I can't believe you're not eating the steak. And then when she ate it, she was like, she felt like one of the big kids. It was the best. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh my God. So now I have hope because she's going to preschool and they Mm -hmm. don't have meals, but they have snacks. But I'm like, if she sees other kids eating vegetables, maybe she'll try more vegetables. Yeah. Yes. It was very exciting for me. And I knew that Mm -hmm. was going to happen, but to actually watch it unfold. That's exciting because you're not always there for the unfolding of the things. Right. You know? So I, I do hope, though, that you aren't there for the unfolding of either of my things that I had today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just the fun things. That's I'll what I ch- wish I'll for you, Chuck Diane. I'll hands all those. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe that's not the best better. idea. <laughs> I take I it back. Know. I take maybe. it back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> Hi, yeah, yeah. Imagine Chuck having one of those conversations and just like giving way too much information oh, or just being so yes. confused. 
Uh-huh. What did she That's say okay. to my dad? My dad was like, Rini, what did you think of the Ratatouille ride in Disney World? And she thought for a second and she looked at him and she said, well, Grandpa, it's extremely complicated. <laughs> oh, no. She's a little Chuck. Where did you hear that? It's extremely complicated. Oh, God. That's <laughs> anyway. great. Get ready. Oh, boy. This is going to be fun. Okay, so we're doing one giant big final episode because we have a great big topic that we want to go over. Yep. And instead of chopping it up, I was just like, let's just do one big one. So we are going to talk about the history of photography, specifically photographs of children, because it is fascinating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So as I'm doing... The earlier history, uh, I'll, I'll go first and then you can take it away with the more modern history. Sounds good. Yeah. And I've got, it is, wow, so fun. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So what's nice though about the history of photography, children's photography, I guess we'll call it, is that it's it doesn't have a super long history because photography didn't come on the scene until like the 1840s. That is true. So before that, if you wanted to immortalize yourself, you had to requisition a painting. And that was just like completely unaffordable for the majority of people. You had to be an uber rich person to get a painting done because it took just tens, if not hundreds of hours to do. Forever. So, you know, before the 1840s, there aren't a lot of really good records of families uh, visually. So uh, we have like, you know, documented histories of families, but not much else. So in the 1850s, when photography started to come on the scene, the reason why it took off at all is because of Queen Victoria. Oh! Way to go, Queen Victoria. So she was like, photographs are amazing. Photographs are amazing, guys. And so she got (laughs) her whole court, like, super into photography. And she hired, like, I'm sure more than one royal photographer, you know, whoever, and just had all the little minutiae of royal life photographed. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So she like really made it this thing that, you know, was socially uh, popular. And, and so because photography was so much more accessible and so much more affordable than paintings, the middle class like really grabbed onto it. They were like, oh, if I save up like a week's worth of wages, I can get a photograph taken of my family. Whoa, you know? And so a lot of people began doing this because they wanted to be like the queen and have a family portrait. And so it was a big deal. The other thing that I thought was really, really cool about early photography was that a family could maybe afford to get like one or two, maybe three pictures taken. And they would buy a hard album and they'd put their two or three pictures in it. And then they'd send it through the post to their other family members um, who lived far away. And that family would put their pictures in and send it along to the next group. And they'd put that. So you'd get these giant family albums that would come back around and have pictures of all the family. That's so cool. It's like. OG Facebook. Like the sisterhood of the traveling photographs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it was just like way, way back at the very beginning, there was this desire to share photographs among family members to to add to it, to create this, you know, thing together. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, so they'd have these shared albums. And one of the things that they've found in these shared albums is that a lot of the time there are pictures solely of children, either of like a child by themselves or them with their siblings. It was like a a really important thing for families to capture what their children looked like, right? And to put them in these albums. So I looked into a little bit and it turns out that the beginning of children's photography lines up pretty well with society seeing children as not like larval adults. Like we just saw them as teeny tiny little adults. We dressed them as such. We treated them as such. We worked them as such. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you just were like, this is just a small adult. Or it's like, 
a baby that can do nothing and has no purpose and I'll just hope that it survives, you know? And, and like, and, and once it's like useful to me, I'll use it for something that an adult would do, but it's tiny. But once photographs came on the scene at the same time, you start seeing people considering children as its own like class of people and its own sort of type of sub-societies like these are children and they behave in this way and we should treat them this way and so and photographs really helped capture that because taking photographs of children at the same time this is the romantic era and capturing innocence capturing like the the naivete of children was like all the rage you know it was like what that was just where people's sentiments were and so you couple all these things together and now, like, as I said before, you know, people wanted to get pictures of their children. And I was really like, but why not like a picture of the full family? Right. So the reason why is, of course, because we can't have anything nice, Diane, um, really morbid. <laughs> people got pictures taken of their children because they didn't know if all their kids were going to make it. Oh. You know? And so they'd get these individual pictures of their kids so that like they would have a picture to remember their kid if anything happened to him, but they didn't have a picture of the whole family that then like they'd see this whole family and be like, but that one's dead, you know, like, right. So you'd have, you know, all of these individual pictures. Sometimes people would get pictures of their full families, but again, exposure times were so long that getting everyone to sit still was really, really hard. So it was a lot easier to take a picture of like one individual person. I was going to guess that that was one of the reasons yeah. too, that, that to have that many people sit and have a good mm-hmm. picture come out for every yeah. single person is pretty unlikely. Yeah. It like you have to take 30 pictures today of a group of people to get a good shot without everybody like without right. two Imagine people blinking then. in it. Yeah. And like this is like <laughs> you get one chance. Yeah. Nobody blink. <laughs> so taking pictures of children was really, really important for many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons was because the mortality rate was so high. And so there was this whole very interesting, super morbid industry that popped up, which is called funeral photography. Oh, I've gone down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yep. So it was just people who made their living taking of pictures postmortem in their deathbeds, often children, like more often than not, the pictures that they took were of children. They did also take pictures of adults, but like usually kids. So it was a common ritual. It was considered like a practice that allowed families to grieve in a more meaningful way than they could before. Um, It was considered like, I don't know, the same way that we have like viewings today. It's like this somber and moving experience. It wasn't considered like, like today, if you took a picture of a dead child, like people would be like, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, like it would be very like taboo, but then it was like seen as this, this very um, like a thing that you did because of great love. And, you know, so very different time and, Photography was certainly, we had a different relationship with it than we have today. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was something that I'd never heard of before. I'd like heard about um, funeral photography, but I'd never heard of this. Have you heard of hidden mother photography? Hidden mother? Hidden mother photography. This was like, like the internet is such a magical place. And this is like one of my favorite little rabbit holes I've ever dug down into. No, I have not. I have not. So this is another Victorian era practice, mostly because exposure times were so long, but essentially in the photograph, there's just like, if you just do like a quick Google search for hidden mother photos, you're going to get a treasure trove of just the funniest images. Um, We see them as funny today. These were like, you know, like they were just seen as lovely little pictures back in Victorian eras. So basically the mother would be present in the photograph, but hidden. This was done to help keep children still during long exposure times to give them like something familiar and soothing around them while they were being photographed. Sometimes the hidden person in the photograph would be the father or the nanny or the photographer's assistant even. And what they would do is they would put the person down and then drape fabric over them and then sit the baby on their lap and make them look like a chair. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Sometimes it's just the mother's lap and like some fabric draped over her face. (laughs) Like, so you've got an arm out, like holding the baby, but like just fabric over the face. I have to look this up really quick. It's so funny. Um, It just really reminded me of like 
how we saw all those articles coming out a couple years ago about like, hey, moms, don't forget to be in the pictures with your kids. Like we're still hidden mothers. Oh, God, I see it. I see it. It's creepy. (laughs) It's so funny. So like it's clearly a person. (laughs) Oh, this is hysterical. Okay, sorry. Go on. It's just really funny. It's just such a great visual. And, And I think that like. We just had such a different relationship with photography. We wanted to have like images of people completely alone. I read this really great story about a woman who she was getting remarried. Um, it was her se- second marriage and she wanted to get a picture taken. She wanted to get a, a wedding photo taken, right? Like so many people do. And this was in like maybe the 1920s or something. And the picture of her in her wedding dress, she is alone. She's not standing with her new husband. She's by herself. And her grandson did a bunch of research into like why this picture is like, it's a weird picture. She's all by herself. She's wearing her first husband's ring on one hand and her second husband's ring on the other. What, like, what is this? Right. So the history behind this photo is apparently that her first husband maybe died and she is much older now, but is still wanting to advertise to the world. I am still a catch. I'm still a catch. I was married once before. Here I'm getting married again, but I'm not going to put my husband in this picture because I'm settling for him. That other guy was the true love. Oh, damn. Boom, fire girlfriend. So like oh, she was mic like drop. Like right? what? I was just like that is wild. And in the picture, like there's he has the original and in it the first husband's ring has been scratched out and then penciled back in. So he's like, somebody was obviously upset about this. Yeah. And she like went back and like redrew in the ring to be like, nope, do not take this from me. (laughs) It's just like, but people are just so funny with photos and like how they viewed themselves and their worth. And like, it gave them a way to, to really like capture who they were in a way that they couldn't before hidden mother photographs really funny they were like an unknown thing like the world didn't really know about hidden mother photographs in any meaningful way until like 2010 or so when the internet brought them all bubbling up to the surface and all of these photos just suddenly like started popping up and, and it was like oh like people would search for vintage photos and then be like why is what is that? Is that a person? Right. And then all of a sudden, all this research started being <laughs> done into hidden, hidden mother photography, and museums started having exhibits of all of these pictures. <laughs> so funny. So funny. So, we're funny people. Then in like the 1880s, that is when Kodak begins. And wow, they that make, early. That early, yeah. It was quick. It was like 40 years. And then they were like, we got to capitalize on this. My God. Um, So in the 1880s, they created a personal use camera and photography became something that anybody could do in their home. Um, You didn't have to hire anybody anymore. You could just, I mean, it was still expensive. It's still cost prohibitive for a lot of people to get film and to have it developed and all that. But you could now like capture your own real intimate moments in your home and not like have all these staged things. You had candid shots for the first time. And photography then became about capturing these human moments and children are like an amazing source of fodder for that. So if you look at like vintage children photography in, in like an image search, you're going to see like the most incredible pictures of little girls playing with dogs or kids playing with one another or children holding guns during war, things that like people wanted to photograph life through the lens of what children experience and how we now understand children are different than small adults. And so it then became this way to like show humanity at its best and its worst with children as the subjects, which is really, I don't know, an interesting path for it to have taken because it started off being portraits and then it became like this art medium and a way to not just capture children because mortality rates were high, but to capture children as a way, as like almost a form of, I don't know, like of protest or of of any other sort of like, I want to capture what's good about society and what's bad about society. I'm going to do that through. It became art. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, because this is honestly the reason why I wanted to look into children, children's photography. Okay. 
back when I used to work at the uh, local bookstore, there was a book that became really popular while I was working there called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Okay, yeah. Familiar with this, but it's got something like 17 or 20 images in it that the author had found at like rummage sales, yard sales, estate sales throughout his life. He's like a collection, a collector of vintage children's photographs. And they're just like wacky photos that are a little disturbing, a little weird. And like, what, what was the photographer trying to do with this picture? Like, what was he trying to? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then he uses these as the basis for all of these strange kind of haunting stories about these kids that live in a, um, I think an orphanage. I have not read the book, but the idea that now all of these photos that were taken for so many years, like we, you'll talk about photography today and about how, you know, like we just take so many pictures, Yeah, but, but like a hundred years ago, people would only take a few pictures and, and those were like prized possessions and then they die and those photos go into storage somewhere and then eventually they end up in a yard sale. And I've been to so many yard sales where people just have boxes of old family photos. They don't know who the pictures are of. They don't know where they really? came from. It's just like, I don't know. My aunt had these, I think. I don't know where they're from. I don't know. And it's like these little moments in time that used to be the most important thing in the world to somebody and are now like completely, like complete mysteries. Yeah. And I just think that is like super fascinating. And it weird. is very cool. And like a glimpse into the inevitable future that awaits us all. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Eventually oh. everything we do will be forgotten and obsolete. It's yeah. <laughs> fun to think about. <laughs> so anyway, that's my research. Wow. Leave us on a low note. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. But now we'll talk about fun things. It's fine. I will. I will talk about fun things. So the way I approached mine um, is I'm going to talk about, um, I didn't do a ton of research into like how cameras evolved at this Mm -hmm. point because once we get into modern day cameras or cameras, they were film cameras first, then they became, we'll talk about how they became digital cameras. But um, I kind of broke it down into when we, when families started moving from slides. Mm Mm-hmm to home videos, Mm -hmm. uh, and then how we make the move to like digital cameras and smartphones. So Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about the home movie. Mm -hmm. I think any child of the 80s, (laughs) 90s, you know about home videos. And when when we look at the timeline of of camcorders um, and video recording devices becoming available to be mass produced for the public, it makes sense that we are that generation. We're just going to go back a little bit. I know I'm, I'm kind of stepping on your turf here, but we're going to 1935 real quick because that is when Kodak releases mm-hmm. their first type of slide projector, the Kodachrome. Ooh. Um, and then in 1936, their first actual 35 millimeter slide itself was invented. By oh, them. Cool. So they were, it took them a couple of years to kind of get the whole system together. Mm. So... In 1965, the first carousel slide projector was patented and sold to Kodak by its inventor, David Hansen. And that's the projector we all have seen. Yes. It's a, like a carousel tray or like a rotary tray, mm-hmm. a rotating tray, um, and you store all the slides in it. And as it goes through the projector, it turns it, right? And then it projects it onto a wall or a screen. Because it was so easy to use, you just put all your slides in, you set it up, and you know you project it big on the wall. Um, slide projectors became the most popular projectors, for, uh, those rotary ones became the most popular ones almost immediately. And that was how people would document their children, their families, their family vacations. Mm-hmm. And then when, you would, when you'd get together and have like a family gathering, you would turn on the slide projector and look at all the slides. Yes. And I remember after my daughter was born, my aunt brought over the old slide projector oh my and God. she projected a bunch of the old slides from when my mom was little on oh. the wall so we could see what my mom and my aunts looked like as babies. And we were like yeah. comparing like how they looked, which was very fun. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, yeah. So I, we still have a lot of the old slides from my family. And that was like the really 
big way to capture moments in the 60s and the 70s. And then in 2004, Kodak completely stopped production of all slide projectors. (sighs) And then finally in 2009, they discontinued the film, the Kodak film. So you can no longer get Unless it's like from a, you know, a used, eBay or something. Yeah. yeah. You can no longer buy a new slide projector or film from Kodak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as we move further down in history, we start to talk about what I was about to jump into, which is moving pictures, home mm-hmm. movies, camcorder. So in uh, 1967, Sony introduced the DV2400 Video Rover. (laughs) I love it. I love the names of all of these. They're so much fun. (laughs) This is the first portable video system, and it consisted of a large black and white camera and then a separate record-only VCR unit. Mm. So it was two separate things. The the interesting thing about the camcorder is you base the evolution of it on when the – VCR started to be part of the unit, right? So oh, right yeah, now yeah. this is still separate. You you do the recording, you have to take out the video cassette tape, you have to put it into a separate VCR, right, mm-hmm. to, to view it. <laughs> so unlike today's camcorders that use cassettes and cartridges, this very first portable video system operated with a reel-to-reel. Yes. So the tape spun off one reel and then you needed to like thread it back into the other head and onto the pickup reel. It was very complicated to use and very easy to make a mistake. So it was still not widely used by by families yet in the 60s. Also, if you like moved the camera too quickly, it would like smudge the picture. And if you pointed the camera at the sun, it would like burn permanent holes in the tubes. It was like <laughs> very easy to make a mistake and it was very expensive. Yeah. So you have to think like the average middle-class family, it was really out of their price range. Mm-hmm. And it was super heavy, really bulky, hard to transport. But if you were really interested in photography, you could buy one and you know you could do this. Um, you could have these moving pictures. So then in the 1970s, the uh, camcorder was finally created that could record an hour or two of video with a video cassette. And it also had audio that didn't need to be sent out for development like film. Mm. So we're getting away from the reel-to-reel now. And we get the introduction of the Beta VCR in 1975 and the VHS in 1976. And so this is what really spurred on the coming fad of home videos. Mm -hmm. Video cassettes were very inexpensive compared to film. So it was much more attainable for a middle-class family. And remember, video cassettes could be erased Mm. and reused. So it's not like with film where you use it, you send it out, and you can't use it again. Mm -hmm. Video cassette, you'd record two hours of film. It's fun. You could erase it if you want and start over. Yep. In 1983, Sony released the first actual camcorder. They called it the Betacam system. And it was mostly for professional use. Mm. And it became the standard equipment for broadcast news. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So then when that was going over well, they released the first consumer camcorder called the Betamovie MBMC100P. Oh, it just rolls (laughs) off the tongue. I know, right? (laughs) This is great. Um, It used Betamax cassette tapes. And this is the one that I'm sure you know, Jen. It rested on... The operator's shoulder. <laughs> you know the stance, right? Yeah. So did my dad. Yeah. And it was this huge bulky thing. And it you couldn't just hold it with one hand like yeah. a like one of those eight millimeter or whatever, right? It mm-hmm. had to rest on your shoulder because it was freaking huge. Mm-hmm. So far at this point, it's just been Sony that's released these. Mm-hmm. But then in 85, we get Panasonic, RCA, and Hitachi. Remember Hitachi? Yeah, Hitachi <laughs> and yep. RCA. My goodness. I know. They all started to produce camcorders using a full-size VHS cassette instead of like the little one, yep. right? And not a two-hour capacity, but a three-hour capacity. Holy moly. That is three recitals. <laughs> I know. Now we're moving and shaking. This is good. and it's But it's still that giant shoulder-mounted mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I was thinking about this recently because my friend sent me a bootleg YouTube video of Patti Lapone <laughs> in the original Broadway performance of Gypsy. Wow. Not Gypsy. No. Um, not Gypsy. Of um, Evita. Evita. Oh, Evita. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so the original Broadway cast of Evita. Keep in mind, that was in the early 90s, I think, mm-hmm. when Evita came out. And we were just like remarking on how amazing Patti Lapone was in her heyday. But then I was like, 
hold on. This is like 1991. How did someone, you know, nowadays when someone does a bootleg video, it's like you sneak oh, your Oh, yeah. Phone. Could you Everything's imagine? so small. Yeah. You'd have to have that giant thing on your shoulder to be you, recording They paid someone for, for sure. It looks like a bootleg though. Like it looks, yeah. it looks. They just, no, no, no. They, like that person came into oh, the theater, oh, yeah, 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 went up totally. to the usher and said, I will give you $500 right. to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and the person said, all right, cool. Go it had to be because there's no hiding that. They were no, gigantic. Huge. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> so the video technology that we see today first arrived in 1995 um, when Panasonic and Sony finally brought the digital recording to life. So the first digital video camcorder came out in 1995 and that kind of kickstarted this fast-paced evolution that we're going to see into digital film and just everything becoming digital online. Etc. So let's get into when things shift and how they shift from taking pictures with film, sending them out to be processed, waiting, <laughs> getting them back. I used to love doing that. Um, and then, you know, having your home videos, having to put them on a cassette tape, and then, you know, you label them. Or I remember we used to have like a scratch tape, right? It was one you could record yes. over. Um, <laughs> Now we make the move to digital, and for the first time ever, you can view your pictures without having to send them out. You mm -hmm. can view them right away. Instantly. Which is a blessing and a curse because you look at it and you go, you never get those fun surprises anymore. Mm -hmm. You yeah. just know what you're getting. Yeah. And then with this move to digital, we start to see for the first time that those traditional family photo albums that we were discussing where you'd send out your film, mm -hmm. you would get your film back, you'd get your little book with all the little plastic sleeves and you'd pick your pictures and put them in. You only had a certain amount of slots, right? You could only put a certain amount of pictures in there. Now you can have a million pictures, mm -hmm. however many your digital camera holds, which was usually like hundreds at the time, I think, of mm -hmm. new digital cameras. And you could choose the ones that you wanted to have printed, right? Or yep. you could put them on a computer at a certain point and just save the files and have them there. Yep. Um, but for the first time, you don't have to be so choosy. And we start to have many more family photos Yes. that are living on. And the same thing goes for video because you mm -hmm. can take video on these digital cameras as well. Yep. So for the first time again, we start to see people being able to take and save more videos. So we start videotaping more things that seem maybe less important now. Like yes. it used to, I remember it used to be like you had to save the the time on the camcorder to get through the whole dance recital or something, right? Mm -hmm. And now people just record everything and every anything and everything because it doesn't matter. You can keep it all. Yeah. And we also start to see here, instead of those traditional family photo books where you have to choose the photos, now you can just go online and use um, companies like Shutterfly or Snapfish, and you create these beautiful photo books yep. online that actually look like books, which is very nice. And you, you you can pick and choose what you want to put in the book, but then you still have all the other photos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On your phone, on your computer, yep. whatever it is, right? Every year, the, the process in our house is we have thousands and thousands of photos from the year. And I say, okay, listen, I, it's always my responsibility to make the book, but it's Joe's responsibility to call the photos. Ah. So he sits down and I'm like, listen, take out anything where anybody's making a silly face. If there are duplicates of the same picture, keep only the best one. I give him like the, the rules mm -hmm. and then he sits down and goes through all like 7,000 pictures and just gives me like 300. Oh, that's and great. And I make the book. So it's great. If he doesn't do that, the book doesn't get made. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's such a good, I really should get on that. It's a <laughs> yeah. really good idea. It's great. It's so fun. I've been doing it since 2014. And I we, we love them because the kids, you know, look at them all the time because yeah. they're like, oh, look at me when I was the baby. So it, it just keeps all those times really present in our lives, which is fun. Absolutely. Oh, that is fun. I know. I used to love looking at our photo albums when I was a kid. Yeah. So Very do sweet. it. Do it. It's great. Super fun. I will. I will do it. <laughs> so now we are in digital cameras, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can take video, you can take photos. You don't have to send it out for film. 
from digital cameras, we get to the era of the smartphone. Yes. So now even digital cameras are passe and somewhat Mm -hmm. obsolete. You don't need one because your phone has a camera that can take probably better pictures than the digital camera would. Mm -hmm. And so now we really get the era of people taking pictures of truly everything and you keep them all, right? Like it used to be you would ha- just take a few pictures of your baby that you wanted in the photo album. And now I have, you know, seven different pictures of Rini eating soup one day. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. Because I can and I have the storage in my phone and I do it. Yep. So we have, unless you are a photographer or someone really interested in photography, it's very rare that some, that a normal person has a camera. Yeah. Anymore. Yep. You just simply use your phone. Yep. So uh, you use it for videos, you use it for actual pictures. Um, you really don't need a camera anymore unless you're someone like my dad who likes to take pictures and yeah. you know, do fun stuff with them, mm-hmm. which is not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> before I finish the, the modern part of photography, I want to talk about a couple of more modern fads in children's photography. The first one is newborn photography, mm-hmm. which was not really a thing prior to probably the 80s and 90s, I would say. Yes. Where you take your child to a photo studio and you dress them up in ridiculous costumes and put them in weird poses and take these really close up kind of bizarre shots when you really think about it. Like they look almost like contorted. So let's talk about the the photographer that made this art famous. Oh, okay. I, I never knew her name, but you're going to know her photos. Uh-huh. Uh, her name is Anne Geddes. Yes, G-E-D-D-E-S. that's exactly right. Yes, okay. Anne Geddes. <laughs> she was an Australian-born, highly acclaimed newborn photographer, and her <laughs> iconic pictures of babies can be seen in coffee table books and calendars, you know, uh, all over the world. Yep. She was known for dressing up babies in ridiculous costumes. I re- I know there's like one that I distinctly remember from, I don't know if it was a calendar. It's three, sun, like three plant pots. Yes. And then there are three babies yeah. that are flowers. Yeah. Yep. So she dressed yeah. them up like sunflowers and butterflies and, you know, animals and, and take these adorable pictures of them. Yep. And that really popularized that kind of of ridiculous newborn photography. Yeah, I, I have a few friends who are who are newborn baby photographers, and the amount of training that they go through now to do that because you have to be you have to do it safely because oh, there's a lot sure. that can go wrong. Yeah. So actually, anytime you see it's uh, so my friend Rebecca is is the person who took all of the newborn pictures of Liam. Mm-hmm. And she did a lot of like really silly poses. Uh, But one of like, there were two that I remember she was like, oh, this isn't a real picture that anyone actually takes. It's a composite. I take two or three different pictures and then I digitally put it all together. So one of the most famous ones is where you see just hands holding a baby, right? And so in that one, it's like my hands on the ground, like on the ground and and then the baby like laying in my hands. Oh. So it's like being shot from above. It's not like a baby being suspended in the air. <laughs> That's terrifying. Um, yeah. So there's that one and then there's the froggy pose which is where the baby is like this and the little legs are splayed out. Uh-huh. And the way that that one works is you take a picture of of the baby like this and the and someone an adult is holding the baby's head up. Um, from from behind and then you take um, a picture of just you're like holding the baby and you just have the baby's head and then they just like put the head onto the it's really funny how cool so yeah it's so there's all these funny tricks um, and there so the other thing that's really hilarious as a as a knitter I've been commissioned to make what are called photography layers and they're just like big cushy squares made out of different fabric materials because newborn baby photographers like to use different textured textiles to be underneath the baby to oh. give like the photo some like, you know, so I've made a lot of things for different photography friends who just want like different layers to put behind their subjects. That's a whole thing. If you go on Etsy and look up like photography layers, it's like hundreds of people like, make just like little squares out of different, th- because People need them for photographs. It's really funny. The whole industry. <laughs> it, it is. It's become a whole industry. Mm-hmm. And and the cool thing about this photographer 
is that she recently started a project where she finds all of her newborn subjects that she had photographed in the 90s. <gasps> and I think it's on Instagram, but I could be wrong. She finds them and photographs them as adults and then puts them side by side. Stop Not it. Not in the costumes, but <laughs> but like she just photographs them. So that brings me – I don't know if you're going to talk about this. So like, Oh, the, the trend of recreating baby Then children. and now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So that's that's on my list here. Yes. But yes. So I mean, there's not much to say about it, but I have here that there now that we have social media, yeah. and you know, you can you can share all these old photos by mm-hmm. just scanning them and uploading them. There yeah. has been this trend of having a photo of you and your siblings when you're little, and then trying to recreate that with very similar costumes and poses, and they come out looking ridiculous and hysterical. They're amazing. Every time I see those, I stop and I'm like, yes, I will click on all of these pictures. I love it. I just love them so much. They're so funny. It's such a funny idea. In fact, there's one of my brother and I from when we were little that I would love to recreate, but we'll see. You absolutely have to. It's so I, I want to. We'll see if I can find the costumes. <laughs> and then the last one I'm going to talk about is my personal favorite. They were very popular in New Jersey. You know where I'm going with this. We're <laughs> going to talk about glamour shots, baby. Glamour shots, mall photography. <laughs> yes. So mall photography and, and going to a portrait studio has been popular for a very long time. But in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a very specific niche form of mall photography and the store was called Glamour Shots. <laughs> and what they did were Glamour Shots. And yes. what that meant was it was big teased hair, tons of hairspray, very big, vibrant makeup, mm-hmm. um, satin and silk and lace and puffy sleeves and ridiculous backdrops and velvet, right? Basically what they would call glamour in the 80s and yes. 90s. But what would happen is you would go there, they would do your hair They would do your makeup usually at that time. They would sometimes even give you the costumes, right? So it was a whole experience. It was almost like you got to be a model for a day. And this was not just for adults. This was for children. It was for teens. teens. Yeah. Yeah, It was big for teens. Huge. (laughs) Yeah. If you Google glamour shots online, you will find (laughs) a lot. Um, And it it reached like its its peak of popularity in the mid-90s. Yeah. And there were over 350 glamour shots locations around the country and even the world. I think there were like a couple in South America too. Yeah. Where you could go and do these. But it was very popular in the Northeastern United States. Mm -hmm. So I did a little digging. I found an article that said as of 2019, there were only five locations remaining. They still exist at all? I thought this oh. was, like, was like Blockbuster. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So this <laughs> article was from 2019, and it said there uh-huh. were five locations remaining. Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. Staten Island, mm-hmm. Bridgewater, New Jersey, amazing, Freehold, New Jersey, excellent, and El Paso, Texas. Now, in 2018, there was also still one in Rockaway, New Jersey, <gasps> Rockaway Mall, but that was no. closed before this article. <sighs> Which got me thinking. I thought, how many are still there now? Mm-hmm. So I found the Glamour Shots website. Mm-hmm. And it it has a, a button to click for locations. So I click on it and it brings up a map of the US. And it, it only highlights the states that have it. The only two states that are highlighted on this whole map of the country is New Jersey and Texas. So I click. As of 2022, as of yesterday yeah there are two glamour shots locations still in existence one is in freehold new jersey at the freehold raceway mall and one is at el paso texas <laughs> so when are you going to get your glamour shots i have to go i have you to go do. to freehold it's not that far i mean i don't know man it's tempting let me tell you it's so funny i never had glamour shots done when i was a kid oh, but i, I had so many either. friends who did Oh, man. It was so funny. I know. <laughs> but we just don't have that trend anymore. No. Photo studios are still a thing, but but mm-hmm. it's really for the family cards and stuff. Yeah. Like, I remember when my brother and I were in high school, we got our, we were like, what do we get mom and dad for like Christmas or something? And we pooled our, you know, cash together. And my brother drove us to the mall and we we went to the portrait studio and got a portrait of the two of That's us done. That's so funny. Like, I feel like you just would not do that nowadays. But that was like, a, like my parents were like so over the moon about this like portrait of us. And my dad still has it up in his house. Like- <laughs> 
I love that so much. I love it. It's like it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, you know my mom, the the pictures she has of oh, yeah. our family through the years, you know. I love what, your like, like your shots are great. They're very posed oh, at your house. Oh my gosh, they're so posed. We, you know, would pay a non-trivial amount of money to have a photographer come into our home, put like the like fanciest chair in front of the fanciest fireplace and pose uh-huh. everyone in these, you know. And we, we've done our own then and now photos in the Salmon household where, you know, like we'll take a picture from like 10 years ago and try yeah, to recreate, recreate it. Yeah, recreate it. It's really funny because, <laughs> you know, we're just, we're silly like that. Now that I've got kids, one of the the other things that is now like very present in my mind. So next week I have to take back to school photos. Oh. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I took back to school photos when I was little, but I am not like, I don't buy my kids new outfits for school. Like it's not my jam, but every single mom's group I'm in or like at work, there is a parent's group and everyone is just like spamming the channels with all of their back to school. Everybody standing in front of their front door with a sign that says, hi, my name's Callie. Yeah. This is my first day of second grade. Today's the date. And when I grow up, I want to be a blank. This is my teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I've lost blank teeth. You know, so it's like this sign that they hold in front of them and they're wearing a really nice outfit. And I'm just like, Jesus. I would, and so I feel all this pressure to like do this. I'm like, well, I, I guess I have to. I don't want my kids to be like, why didn't you ever take pictures of us? Like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh God. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. But then my mother-in-law took them out back to school shopping when she had them last week. And so now they have all nice outfits. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll just take this stupid picture. Oh, and I guess you should. <laughs> I guess I might as well. So, so yeah, back to school pictures are hilarious. They're so like every single one of them looks exactly yep. the same. I also really love school photos. Like I think they're hilarious. Yeah, they are. So funny. Like all of mine are a real riot from like the 80s and 90s. They're really funny to look at. Oh, you know, on the Instagram, you should send me one of your old school photos. (laughs) I'll post like two of our old like school photos on the Instagram. I've got some real doozies. I do Um, too. I had some bad haircuts. (laughs) Yeah, I had bad haircuts. I had like my mom used to really love getting me like very formal attire for my first day of school or for my photographs. Um, So I'd be wearing this like blazer (laughs) like in third grade. So funny. Very professional um, third grader. Yes, very like professional pictures. You know, so it's like that kind of silliness. But the thing that Joe and I really love about school photos, and this is like this hilarious game that we play that I, is probably not actually very funny, but we always forget when it is. I don't know why. We just can't get our acts together. Yeah. And so whenever the kids get their pictures taken, we don't know about it. And then, like, the pictures will just show up in their backpack one day, and we'll we'll be like, oh, it was that day, you know? <laughs> and the pictures are always so funny, because Joey always has this, like, hilarious grin on his face, and his hair yeah. looks a mess, and Emma usually is wearing, like, not something we would ever want her photographed in, and it's just, so then we just laugh about how bad the pictures are, and we really love them, because they capture how, like truly authentic our kids are in those moments whereas like so many people send their kids in with like their hair combed and like a really nice new shirt and our kids are just like in their lego batman shirts with like bed head (laughs) i mean that's who they are yeah it's really funny so we just like we embrace that in a big way and it's just we just laugh about it and we we get such a good laugh nice one last thing because it's a it's a story that I feel like this is an opportunity to share it. Um, when you were talking about the giant camcorders, right? And like, yes. You know, so I remember when my dad made this, like my dad was a real tech head. Like he always wanted the newest gadget, whatever it was, he needed to have it. And so he had like the big shoulder thing for a long time. And then like, we eventually had a camcorder. And I remember like the added pressure of performing when it was being recorded, right? And like oh, how yeah. that was like a really big mental hurdle for me. I already had like massive stage fright. And I remember the, it must've been my junior, senior year of high school. And I remember having picked out the songs, like it was like my swan song. It was just like the song that I loved, Stranger from the Stranger to the Rain from Children of Eden. Just Don't like, I know it. <laughs> loved it so much. 
And I decided I was going to participate in the school talent show, which like was not a thing I had done before. I was not a brave child who did that. I was like the kid who showed up to things and stood in the background. And I was like, I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing the song. It was mostly because I had a choir teacher who like really encouraged me and was an amazing human. And he was like, this is the best song. You are the best at singing it. Just like, you're going to do it. And I'm going to play the piano and it'll be fine. And so like practice and practice and practice and practice and was like, this is it. This is my moment. And like get on stage. I had like the tiniest little bit of choreography to like, you know, really sell it. And I just remember being up there and I remember like the light on me. And I remember thinking to myself, this is my moment. Like this is the moment where I show everyone that I am like the best. And I'm standing there, I'm singing and I'm looking at Warren and Warren's just like, you're nailing this. And And like, I get off the stage and I'm just like, that was amazing. It was flawless. I I hit everything perfectly. I hit that last D and it was amazing. And I'm like, just really, and I get out to see my parents. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. I can't wait to watch the video back. And my dad was like, I forgot the camera at home. (gasps) Oh no. I still mourn that that performance was not captured <laughs> dude that's a bummer that's a real it just bummer lives on in my mind as perfection but what are you gonna do <laughs> you know what is recorded from my childhood mm. in my in my first grade musicale remember the did you guys have musicales in, mm-hmm. in uh elementary school where it yes. was like all the kids would just stand on stage and sing like disney yes. songs it's terrible <laughs> first grade i'm in the front row i'm next to this girl I won't say her name. I doubt she listens to this, but (laughs) whatever. I don't know where she is now. (laughs) And she's looking a little queasy, Jen. Things are looking bad. Oh, no. She's rubbing her stomach, and I'm singing my Disney song, but I'm like looking sideways at her. My dad's (laughs) filming because this is great. And all of a sudden, she just turns toward me and vomits (laughs) all over me in the middle of the musicale and my dad got it all on tape and my family made fun of me forever they had to like stop the whole thing and take us off stage and clean me up oh man that's so funny yeah wow oh thank god for video cameras in the 90s man just great. Really good. It's really good. I'm glad so, you have that moment. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Immortalized. Oh, boy. So. Oh, wow. Well, this is the end of our season, right? Yeah. This is it. We're going to we're gonna call it. it call it the end here. Um, and we'll, you know, we're going to take some time, come up with some more ideas, come back when we've refreshed a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us for the last, I mean, we've, we've had now like, if you don't count the mini episodes, I think we're at about 55 episodes. So yeah, I've done a lot. Pretty proud of us. I know. I am too. It's been good. So yeah, I think we're going to you know take some time to uh, breathe and uh, revamp some things for next season and see you know what works, what doesn't work. If you have feedback mm-hmm. for us, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see you guys next next year. Yes. Yeah, I think we'll start again early 2023. Early 2023. Ah, oh, 2023. In my brain, it's still like 2020. Time stopped when COVID happened. <laughs> so do you want to hear just a terrible confession? Sometimes when I'm writing the date, I don't know why. I, I mean, I was, I guess, a very like impressionable age at the time. When I was 13, for some reason, dating my papers was burned into my mind, searing I still write 1998 when I'm writing the wow. date sometimes. Isn't that wild? <laughs> like what? I don't know. I can't tell you. It's weird. It's a random I did year. a lot of journaling that year. I think that's probably part of it. Um, <laughs> just wrote the date a lot. <laughs> So you can find us online in many places. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We are always at OPDW Podcast. You can send us email at OPDWPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us a review on whatever podcast listening platform you use, we're always thrilled to get those. They really help people find the show and they just fill our hearts with so much love. Yes. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, Theo. Until Until next time, time, don't be a hidden mother. You deserve to be in every picture.